financial estate, music, tech, pop culture, sneakers, NFTs, comedy, whiskey, tequila. <gasps> Woo! It's the Too Many Topics podcast, an absurd and hilarious take on, well, a lot of things. Here are your hosts, Scott and Tommy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Jess Spoda, what's up, my man? Nothing much. Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nothing Thank good. you. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a minute. Yeah. Everything's good with you? Yeah, everything's good. Busy. You know, Busy. kids, wife. You, you know, like two boys, right? Two Rocco boys. And Jess? Yes, Rocco's the baby, three. Right. And Jess is seven. Okay. And then your, wi- your wife's name is Jen? Yes, Genevieve. How long have you been married? Uh, 10 years. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah, this year, this August will be 11 years. Things are good. Yeah, things are good. Things are good. You know, you got to work at it like everything else. Listen, you know, you got to work at it. That's what we were talking about, right? Things weren't always so good, but. No, no, they weren't. Right. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, it's, everybody struggles with something in this world. And I try to bring people on here that have, you know, interesting um, things to talk about, right? Interesting topics, hence the name. Um, and I think you have a, an interesting one that, that, you know, I hope a lot of people can resonate <coughs> with and, and hopefully get some information out of that can help them. Because uh, I know you struggled uh, with addiction, right, mm-hmm. in your yes. past. And yep. uh, so where you grew up where Lower East Side? Yes, so I grew up, uh, my family's originally from Mulberry Street. Um, my parents, they grew up together. They went to grammar school together. Um, then me and my sister were born a little bit further south, right by the Brooklyn Bridge in a small little, uh, you know, neighborhood down in Lower Manhattan, um, right by the South Street Seaport. Um, back in the day, there was the Fulton Fish Market down there. So, yeah, born and raised down there. I've only been uh, in Staten Island for f- about five years now. So I'm assuming, what, Italian family? Mm-hmm. Italian, both sides. Regular full Italian. Raised, right. Yeah, yeah, both, you know. Um, Successful. Yeah, both parents in the house. You know, my, my parents got split up. Uh, I think I was like 12 uh, my parents parted ways, but still, um, they still have a very good relationship to this day. Um, I grew up down the hall from one grandmother, and then th- my other grandmother lived in the next building. So, I mean, I was surrounded by family, um, you know, Sunday dinners, tons of friends, you know, normal childhood, uh, sports, good schools, everything, you know, was made available to me. Catholic schools my whole life. Co- opportunity to go to college, everything. You yeah, know. That's that's why I was I was uh, I was getting at like you know, good family, good upbringing, successful people, family around you at all mm-hmm. times, right? Yep. You know, you hear these crazy stories <coughs> about these kids go off the deep end based on their surroundings and their environment, mm-hmm. but you you were like not the atypical guy to go go, uh, you know, in a different direction. So ha- when did that start? When did uh? You know, it's 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 See funny you ask that now because this this popped into my head. Um, you know, the other day we spoke on Monday. Um, so the other day I was thinking, you know, growing up in that area, um, Fulton Street was like the main street kind of in my neighborhood. And I don't know if you remember from back in the day a store called Woolworth. Oh, sure, sure. So there was a Woolworth um, like on the outskirts, like of my neighborhood, like on the street part. There was nine buildings in my neighborhood. And there was a little alleyway that you could drive down by Woolworth and get into my neighborhood. And I remember probably from 11, 12 years old, you know, being out with my friends. And so there was my generation. Then there was the older kids, which we called them, that were uh, that were like, you know, four or five years yeah. older. And then there were the older, older kids 
that was like my uncle and his friends. Yeah. You know, my, my dad and my uncle are 18 years apart. Oh, so okay. my Actually uncle was more my uncle was closer to being like a brother, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, they used to hang out. I remember they used to pull their cars up into the alleyway on a Friday night, Saturday night, blasting music, drinking, smoking, girls. So they were like the celebrities, you right. know, and they would never allow us because, you know, everyone knew that Billy was my uncle. So they would never allow us near them. So it was always like, get out of here, go home. What are you doing? So I remember, like, me and my friends used to look at them and be like, I can't wait, man. I want to <laughs> hang out in the alleyway. Like, I can't. So I remember as, like, a young kid, once I hit, like, 16, 17, and I was able to get into the alleyway and hang <laughs> out and have a 40 and something, like, then I, I felt like that that was the world to me. Yeah. Like, that. And then when I did it, when I took, like, when my generation took over the alleyway, we were there, you know, all night. No one wanted to go home. It was a dirty, you know, smelt like piss, a dirty alley that we would just pull our cars in, blasting music. Nobody bothered you? Nope. Nothing. Yeah, that's Smoking weed, yeah. drinking, you know, laughing, breaking yeah. bottles, fighting. So there was um, down, Ful- down Fulton Street was the South Street Seaport. And there was always, um, there used to be a little bar, like club, called Sequoia's in the pier. And Friday, Saturday nights was just all like Latin music. And, you know, girls, we used to stand in front of the alleyway and see everybody walking up Fulton Street to get to the train station so we'd grab girls fight with guys going so it was like who we never went out like we just wanted to go to we used to call it the magnet because that's it drew everybody at one point in a time in the night everybody was at there yeah everybody was there (laughs) so you could go and stand there and get into a fight get a girl get drunk like (laughs) so that was just that was like you know that's i don't want to play sports like i wanted to do that Get into a fight, get yeah. Laid and get that's it. That's it. That's time. it. And then all week we would. That's all we would talk about. Like, yo, remember that fight? Remember this? Like, so it was just like that was, that was like the highlight of growing up yeah. down there. It was crazy. So yeah. I, which I thought at the time was you know normal, but now looking back, like, that's not really normal. Like, that's well, not right. you know. Somebody once told us to told me that. uh how we got out of our 20s alive mm-hmm. is amazing. And yeah. it's true. You know, we grew up in a crazy time when, um, and listen, the 60s and the 70s were crazy. Right. I'm sure that the 20s and the 30s mm-hmm. had their thing. You know, everybody has <coughs> their thing. People were going to war. Right. You know, right. kids our age were, were in war. Right. So it was a l- the craziest stuff going on. Um, today's, I don't know, these kids, I don't think will ever see what we saw in right. terms of socializing, right? The whole mm-hmm. realm of social um Interaction is completely yep. changed, right? Yeah. So there won't be, there'll be a magnet, but it'll be like six kids in different houses all talking on their phone. Yeah, kind of yeah. No, of course. So, all right. So you you grew up like a regular kid on in in Manhattan, right? Because I could hear that story from Brooklyn kids. I could mm-hmm. hear that story. You know, we all had our hangout spot. Um, but where th- there's a difference between you know smoking a little weed and drinking, oh, yeah. whatever. Until till finally having a problem. So mm-hmm. where did how did that begin? I remember you telling me you worked in finance. Yeah. So I was always, um, you know, I never wanted to um, like stop the the partying with my friends. So when it came time to go to college, I I was gr- really good football player. I went to um, Xavier High School on 16th Street, Jesuit High School, played football all conference. I was going to uh, college to play football. I was going to Pace in Westchester. What West position Chester. did you play? Running back. Oh, cool. Yep. 
So um, I dropped out. I stopped playing football because, you know, you have to report to football camp for college, like, middle of the summer. And I'm like, no way. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving my neighborhood and my friends to go, you know. So I dropped out of – I stopped playing football, went to college for a semester, dropped out, and then started working um, on the stock exchange in Wall Street. How old are you? Uh, 18. Wow. 18, okay. yeah, yeah. 18, I did, like, an intern, like a summer thing there. Um, and then that following year, you know, I went to college. I, I, I had a 0.0 <laughs> GPA. I never went to class. Yeah, so um, I, I dropped out, and my mother was like, you're not going to be on the street like a bum. You know, I'm going to talk to – I was working with a cousin of mine at the time. She was like, I'm going to talk to cousin Peter. And I, I was offered the job full-time. So, you know, at 19, I think I was full-time uh, in the stock exchange with 40-year-old men, you know, going out for drinks after work, this, that, you know, a lot of money, nice suits. So very, I was exposed to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As most so. young 18-year-olds would mm-hmm. do. Yeah, I remember, you know, my first week of work, I showed up in, like, khakis, a plaid shirt, a striped tie, <laughs> and... You know, uh, they're like, what are you wearing? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, hey, take your first paycheck. Go get a suit. Let's go. They took me to, you know, some store over there. Buy, buy a suit. They're like, you look ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I didn't know how to dress. You know, I had earrings, tongue ring. They were like, get all that shit out of your face. This is Wall Street, you know. So I was like, all right, let's go. I'm all in. I'm all, Like, that's me. I'm all in. Let's go. So, yeah, it started, you know, I was exposed to it, you know, at, at an early age. Um you know, I lived in the area. I lived so close to the stock exchange that I was always everyone's guy. Yeah. You know, like, oh, they knew where I lived. Can you get me this? Can you get me that? Yeah, I got a friend. Don't worry. I'll sure. make a call. Yeah, he's going to come over on lunch. He's going to take a walk over. So, you know, from that, like, I was always like that guy. I was always the guy that knew somebody, always had a friend that sold this, that sold that. Yeah, you were the only neighborhood kid. Yeah. Unless people that got made it big then move there. Right, right. You know? So, you know, it was, um, that's kind of like how it started. You know, I would do somebody a favor, and they're like, here, take a little bit of this. Have a bump, smoke a joint, take a pill. Here, for you, for your troubles. Okay, so I was like always that that guy, you know. So that was like my payment for doing them a favor. So, you know, that's really when kind of things started to like escalate. Spiral, but mm-hmm. that's what next you. So you're working on Wall Street. You're a kid. You're hanging out. You're going out with these guys who's partying. You know, you're along mm-hmm. for the ride. Um, so at what point, at what age, or what, what point in your life where you started to say, well, other people probably started to see it first, right? Because a lot of times, yeah, in addiction, you don't necessarily see it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Denial so I mean, it wasn't until a little bit later on, I'd left the floor and I was working um, on a trading desk. And again, you know, I was the guy, and uh, somebody was like, "Hey, can you get um, can you get perks? You get Percocet." So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I have a friend that gets them. I usually get bottles of hundreds or whatever, um, you know, hundred pills in a bottle. So I would get them, you know, do them the favor, and either the guy I was getting them from would throw me like ten, or the the people I was getting it for would throw me ten, and I never really dabbled, you know, no matter all the other you know things that I did." You know, growing up, I was always able to put it down and walk away. You know, never really took a hold of me. Weed, I thought I was going to smoke weed to the day I die. I loved right. it. I right. put it down, no problem. Right. I had to take a drug test one day for a job. I stopped smoking. I was like, ah, I'm good. Yeah. 
Yeah, you Coke, crack, crack all that. For two or three yeah, days and you're good. all that. You know, it was just nothing. It was, yeah, it's nothing. But then I started to have an abundance of these pills on hand, um, and I would take them Friday, Saturday. Then it turned into Friday, Saturday. Oh, it's Monday. I'm not doing nothing. Let me take one, watch a movie. Then I um, the um, trading desk I was working for um, went out of business. I was out of work. I had met my wife. Um, you know, I was home all the time. She was working. I was home looking for a job. I was taking them every day, every day. I couldn't stop. So that's when, that's when it really got bad. That's when, you know, I, I had no idea what addiction was, what withdrawal was. I never experienced any of that. I thought like, you know, at first I thought it was like a cold or I was getting like the flu. Never had the flu before. I was like, oh, this must be the flu. I'm achy. But it was, um, yeah, it was the withdrawal from the pills. So you go from taking them to get high to taking them to feel normal. Right, right. And to not get sick. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was misery. It was, uh, you know, it was horrible. You know, some people, they would take a Percocet if they had a tooth pulled, take one and have such a bad reaction, flush the rest. Like I said, I'm done. I can't take these. I was the opposite. Like, you know. Um, taking and you feel like super. Yeah. I had mentioned to you. You know, I had a ton of friends growing up, but my friends that I had were friends from childhood, from babies. We were in baby carriages together. I never had to go and actually, like, start a conversation with somebody and say, hey, my name is Jess. What's your name? How are you? Like, I never had to make a friend. My fr We all went to school together. We went to high school together. You know, so wherever we traveled, we rolled, like, 20 deep. Like, we just had, you know, all our friends. So... I was kind of shy. Like, when I would have to go on vacation and there'd be a group of kids playing, my mother would be like, oh, why don't you go make friends? <laughs> no, I would be stuck on the chair next to my mother. That's it. Right. No, I'm not going. I can hold. I, I'm, I got that's no it. Friends. Yeah, that's it. I, I don't know how to, you know, I don't want to make friends with them. So, so when I started taking them. introverted mm -hmm. outside to your regular yeah. crew that you hung out yep. with. Yeah, where people would think that I was kind of, like, rude. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, if, you know, we'd Comes be... off that way, yeah. yeah. like, yeah. I met some of my wife's friends when we first started dating, and they all grew up together, so they had a lot of conversation to have with each other, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm listening. I'm not being rude. I'm listening. I'm paying attention, but I'm not really talking. Like, I didn't... I'm older than them, so I really didn't have much to add. Add to the conversation. So, like, right away, like, I know, like, these people are like, oh, man, this kid's a dick. Like, you yeah, know, like, Jen's new boyfriend. Like, he's, yeah. he didn't even say two words. Like, right. what a jerk. But that's not the case. That's just that's just me. I'm quiet. Yeah. But these pills, like, night and day. Like, they, like you said, like, I felt like Superman. Yeah. Like, I could have a conversation. Um, I would take them. I would clean the house. My wife would come home. Dinner would be You'd cooked. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just kept going, getting worse and worse and worse. And it was just, you know, starting to get the lying, you know, it was just, um, you know, lying to my wife, lying to my mother, lying to my father, you know, money, just money blown, spent every savings, everything that I had was just, uh, you know, my life was controlled by it. Yeah, because I know you, you, your family is a successful family. I'm sure they would have for you to mm -hmm. help you through, you know, whatever it is. And you find yourself, you know almost treating them like the enemy, right? Yeah, because right. they're questioning me. Yeah. So, you know, I would show up places if I had sunglasses on. It's, you know, what's the matter with your eyes? You know, I, I, I hid it. For, I thought I was hiding it, you know, for a while. And, you know, I don't know if my parents, they didn't want to believe it. You know, after a time, like, you know, after a certain time, 
I'm hitting them up for money. Jess, you just got paid. Oh, I got bills. I got this. You know, my bills, my rent. They're like, what are your bills? Like, uh, you know, oh, come on, let me borrow this. It's a hundred bucks. I'll give it to you. You know, it was just money would come in this hand and out the other hand, you know. When did you see yourself like really spiraling out of control? Um, Any any specific time that you can see? I mean, I know when I, you know, started like pawn and jewelry, you know, without even contemplating like you know the good and evil of it you know like it was just like let's go right you know my first wedding ring i just got a real wedding ring now for my 10-year anniversary i got married in 2012 i had a white gold and diamond wedding ring i pawned that Uh, my high school ring you know i pawned that uh, chains, things that were left to me by my grandparents, a JS ring from my grandfather, go pawn that. And like I said, I wasn't even standing there like, no, I don't do it. I was just, yeah, give me, let me go. I went to the, you know, to the jewelry exchange, pawned it, and bought drugs with it. You know, and this is, you know, for a little bit, like, on my way to the, to the, to get the drugs, like, thinking about it, like, what I just do. But then once I would get the drugs, all that shit would go away. And I didn't care. I would did it again. So what was the what was the one thing that you said that happened that you said, fuck it, this does that stand? Um, so I had tried to get sober a couple times. You know, um, my family knew. They found out. You know, they, 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 there was no, you know, it was, it was no, like, secret anymore. Like, they knew. They confronted me. I tried to get sober. Um, I did the whole Suboxone treatment for a while. Um, you know, that was horrible, um, being on the Suboxone. I was lying to my wife about it. What is that What is that like, the Suboxone? So Suboxone is another drug that they give you to kind of get you off of opiates. But you get so addicted. So up until that point that I did Suboxone, um, I was only doing pills. Um, you know, Percocet pill form. I would crush them and sniff them. Only pills. Once I got on the Suboxone to get off of that, I tried to stop the Suboxone after a while. And that, like, I felt like I was crazy. Like, I was having anxiety. Um, you know, couldn't sleep for, like, a week. I wanted to throw myself off the terrace. And at that point, everyone knew what I was doing and how expensive the pills were that I was paying for. I went to heroin. That was the only... and. Even that, without a like, without a blink of an eye, I was in the projects, you know, right across the street from me. I grew up right in the projects, and um, in the staircase, a dirty staircase in the projects, dressed up, going to work, waiting, you know, for a bag of heroin, like like it was nothing, like normal. Yeah, like you're waiting for a bagel sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Waiting, looking at the clock, like man, I gotta get to work. You know, where the hell is this guy? Getting it, doing it in the staircase, going to work. You know, so you're able to function. Yeah, as, I was as best that you could anyway. <clears throat> I wasn't, I wasn't getting high. My, you know, my my low would got so low that to get high would just bring me back to like normal. Right. That's it. You know, like I wasn't, and this would be all day. I would need it. To my point earlier, yeah. you got to take it to be normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so um, all right. So you go through that. You go through the suboxone. Obviously, that doesn't work, right? Because mm-hmm. now you turn to heroin. Yep. And where do we go from there? Um, so that that happened. That went on and off, you know, with the heroin. Um, probably for like maybe six months, four months with the heroin. Um, 
I know, I know one time, like, I didn't have it, and I, would, I took a bunch of Benadryl because of, like, the anxiety. I knew Benadryl would kind of calm me down, um, help me get some sleep. I think I took, like, 12 Benadryl or something. Like, just, yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was, like, my personality. Like, I could drink a bottle of NyQuil to calm down. Like, I mean, I was going through withdrawal at night. Um, I didn't have any. I wasn't going to be able to get any until the next day. So I took the Benadryl, and then I think my wife found all, like, the empty Benadryl packets. And she was like, that's it, you know. I'm done, I'm done. She was looking for an apartment. I saw her looking online for an apartment. She had gone to lawyers for a divorce. I was out of my house. Um, I was sleeping on my mother's couch. My mother wasn't home um, for that week. I was sleeping on her couch. And I had called my uncle, who, like I said, we kind of grew up together. Um, so I called him, he was living with my grandmother, he was going through a divorce, a rough divorce at the time, he moved back in with my grandmother down the hall, and, um, I called him up and I was like, B, I was like, uh, I need to borrow 20 bucks, I'm fighting with my wife, um, I left the house, I don't have my wallet, you know, I need, I need 20 bucks, <clears throat> he tells me, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm going through a crazy time right now, you know, I can't give you the money. But he was like, if you need for lunch, if you need lunch, he was like, come inside. I got cold cuts. I got chicken cutlets. I'll make you a sandwich. Take the sandwich to work. Never answered him back. I was like, fuck you. You don't want to give me the money? I'll find it someplace else, you know? So I went. I took out consignment. I had consignment from, like, four different drug dealers. Um, and he called my father that day. And he was like, listen, it just is bad. He called me up asking me for 20 bucks. You don't have $20 on him. He's doing something. So that day I came home from work and my father and my mother were in my mother's house. And, like, I had trashed my mother's apartment. I think I found um, from one of my sister's uh, C-sections from, from giving birth, she had, like, five milligram Percocets. They were in my mother's house, like, in the medicine cabinet. I found them. I took the whole bottle. You know, I was just on a tear. I had no, like, remorse you know, for I just didn't care. Weren't thinking. No, I, I didn't. At that point, like I said, my wife wanted a divorce. I'm sleeping on my mother's couch. Um, I don't know. I don't even remember the last time I showered. You know, like I was, I was going to work all week, like in the same clothes. Um, so like I didn't even care. If like honestly, like I, I wasn't trying to kill myself. Like I wasn't trying to overdose. But I was mixing things. If I couldn't get it from one guy, I would go get Xanax from this guy. Kalatapin from that guy. Uh, then this guy would call me with the with the heroin, and I'd get that and do that. I just didn't give a shit. Like I would mix. I I don't care. I just wanna I wanna just mask all this pain. Yeah, you wanna bury everything exactly deep down as far mm -hmm. as you could bury it. Yeah, and yeah. So I mean, they came. My 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 mother and my father were at my mother's house, and you know her her just apartment was a mess, like shit everywhere. And that was it. They were like, "You're going to rehab, or you're going to jail." You know, we're going to call the cops. Or the morgue. Yeah, yeah. Well, they told me, they were like, we're going to call the cops. You stole money from us. You took money from us. You took jewelry, whatever. We're calling the cops. You're going to jail. I was like, fuck you. I'm not going. That's bullshit. But, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was a Friday night. And I remember, like, with all the craziness, the shit that was going on, I told my father, I was like, all right, I owe so-and-so money. I have to go pay them. He's like, I don't trust you. He goes, I'll go pay them. I was like, you're not going to go. They're not, they're not going to trust you. Not, you know, like, <laughs> you can't go roll up in the projects right now, like, and go knock on this kid's door. Like, they'll kill you. 
So he was like, all right, I'll come with you. So I'm like, okay, fine, you come with me. I was like, you got to stay downstairs. Like, I got to go up to this kid's house, gives me money. I go up and I buy more drugs mm. with the money. That's how crazy this had taken over, you know, my life. Yeah. Like, you know, um, so I go up, I buy the drugs, and I know, like, they're going to, he's going to, like, try and search me. So I do, like, two bags in the staircase, put the other ones, like, under my sock, you know, and, like, I was good. Now I was just, like, I didn't give a shit. My, yeah, my wife wanted a divorce. I'm going to rehab, but I got ten, I got eight more bags under right. my sock. I'm good for I'm good. Life. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Like, whatever. Let's go out to dinner. Let's get a drink. Like, they're like, what the fuck? So it's just, yeah, that's just the way my mind was. Like, so, yeah, that was a Friday into Saturday. Um, I begged my mom, like, they were, like, babysitting me. So I begged my mom to go, uh, if I could go get a haircut. You know, I still had hair. So uh, I begged my mom. I was like, I, please, let me go. I'm going away for I don't know how long. I want to go to my barber. I want to get a haircut. She gave me 20 bucks to go get a haircut. <laughs> I used the money for a haircut, but I ran to the projects, and I took out 100 on consignment <laughs> because I knew, I knew I was going away for a month, and I'm not going to see this person. So I said, fuck it. Let me take out a little more on consignment. Beat their beat. Oh, Never yeah. going to pay them. You know, till this day, I probably owe them. I don't know. Like, it's just, yeah. So. So you finally did go away. Yeah. Where yeah. was that? I went to a place called Karen in Reading, Pennsylvania. Okay. Karen Treatment Centers. I went, uh, I think it was February 2nd, 2015, the day after the Super Bowl. So what's that like? Did they just try to um, instill, like, beliefs in you, change your mindset? Um, like, so th this this particular... Therapy? program is a 12-step program okay so like aa um kind of 12 steps um you know you, there's a lot of group therapy um first of all you detox when you get there so i think i had had some stuff maybe left over i think sunday morning no, monday morning monday morning so this was sunday was the super bowl i left like one bag for myself for monday morning i woke up i did it and now mind you i used to do like four or five bags at a time. So one bag, really, just a little taste, just a little bit on my way up there. So by the time you do the intake, first of all, getting up there, getting to... Probably three hours. Yeah, yeah. It, took, it took a while. So no, I remember, like, no. nodding off in the car a little bit, um, crying. You know, I said goodbye to my mother the night before. Didn't see my wife, you know. Uh, my father was crying because we're going up to... It's not like they're taking you away to college, you know. <laughs> You're not going to you know, I'm in the back, I'm crying, I'm sleeping, you know, all these emotions, you know. So once you do the intake and everything, then you go right, you say goodbye. You know, I'm trying to be tough because there's, you know, all, all the, people, yeah, all the other, other guys in there, you know. Um, it was a private facility, but still, you know, you're afraid. You don't know what you're going to. Of course. Never went to rehab before. I heard horror stories about some rehabs where it's like jail. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in those places are there because of. Getting caught. Yeah, breaking the law. So it's either you go there or you go to jail. Right. And of course, who's going to want to go to jail? They go to a rehab. But so right away you go into uh, into the detox, um, the detox unit. And there's just a bunch of people in there that are going through the same horror as you. Sweating, shaking, can't eat, you know, farting, throwing up, you know, just stunk in there. Like, I'm just like, oh, God, like, what what is this shit? Like. You know, but and then they have guys from the unit. Like, so once you graduate from the detox unit, you're there for like 
depending how bad your detox is, like three, you know, three days, four days when you start to really detox all that out. Then you go up into the actual men's unit. And so how they, was that for you, that whole process of detoxing? Um, it was shitty. <laughs> it, it was shitty. Um, but like I said, you're going through it with people that are going through the same thing. Um, they don't give you drugs to detox. They give you, um, I forget the name of it. It was a medication that they prescribe for blood pressure, for high blood pressure. So this kind of like drops your blood pressure and kind of like calms you down. So they would give us that like maybe three times a day to kind of stop with the anxiety. Um, you know, you lose a lot of weight because you're not eating. You have no appetite. So like three, four days, you may be eating once a day. If that, you know, you can't keep anything down. Uh, you're drinking water, Gatorade, and stuff like that. So um, I happened to be in a room with a kid that was going through a withdrawal from the same thing. So we kind of, like, hit it off, and we were talking, and, you know, be tough, bro, you got it, you know. And then they would bring people from the, you know, from the unit down that were in our place, like, three weeks ago. So they would come down, and they'd be like, hey, man, I was right where you are. Look at me. I'm feeling good. Uh, so it's like there's hope. You know, you see, like, hope at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Rather than doing it at home, knowing all I need to do is make a phone call, and I'm good. Mm -hmm. This will all stop. Mm -hmm. So once you get that into your mind, you know, and then also when you're detoxing now, all the feelings that you buried for such a long time all rush over you. I would just lay in bed some nights and just cry. Like, just look at myself in the mirror and cry. Think about my wife, my life that I fucked up, like, and just cry, just, just just sob and sob, like, because I've been so numb for so long. I, you know, before that, I couldn't remember the last time I cried, for real. If I did cry, it was bullshit to show people that I cared, but I really didn't. But, yeah. Was there anything specific that you remember doing, like, on the regular to try to get you through those dark days? Um... You know, some people meditate, some people, you know, <laughs> find. So we, I, t I, mean, I tell my wife this story and she laughs. Like, so when we get up to the unit, um, you know, the the detox, like y your mind is just in so many different places that you just wake up one day and you feel better. You know, like it's like, okay, last night wasn't so bad or, you know, so then you, uh, you're at that point, like you're anxious. You want to get up to the unit and see what this is all about, you know, because you're still in the detox, little detox unit. So you know, there's no meetings, there's no group, there's nothing. You're just sitting in this little room watching TV with everybody. Uh, they come in, they take your vitals, they give you your meds, that's it. So I wanted to get up, and they did have meditation. They did do meditation. You know, we'd all lay down on the floor, and, uh, you know, one of the counselors would play, like, chimes and, you know, like that soft Vibration. music. Yeah. They would all laugh because within, like, five minutes I was snoring. <laughs> so I told my wife so that story. She yells at me. She yelled at me last night because I was snoring so loud in the bed. But I tell her that story. I told her that like when I came home, she was cracking up. I was like, "Yeah, I'd be out cold." <laughs> I had to get a so pillow from the couch. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it was a great. I I owed them my life. I, I'm I'm be eternally grateful to them forever. That was what a thirty day program. Uh, I did a little, maybe thirty two days. I think I did um, there. Then they have, like, extended stay where you could go um, to kind of, like, housing. Mm -hmm. And you stay on the, you know, on the premises. Um, but we got gym, gym time. Okay. So we'd go to the gym, play volleyball. So, I mean, it was, just, it was just hysterical. You'd see, like, a bunch of, like, 
ex-drug addicts trying to hit a volleyball. The <laughs> ball's going backwards. They're falling. You know, it was just crazy. We'd go to the gym. Um, I remember, like, I packed my bag the day that I, you know, when I packed. I don't know what I was throwing in there that when I got there, they searched all your stuff. I had cologne. <laughs> I had bathing suits. They were like, where do you think you're going? <laughs> the, guy, the guy searching my bag was like, I got to take this. I had a big bottle of, like, uh, I forgot, like, a Chanel Platinum cologne. They are like, what do you think you're like? I was like, I don't know. I like to smell good. He was like, no, you'll get this back when you leave. I had all bathing suits. They were like, what do you think? Like, there's a pool here? Like, a so He was like, I don't know. That's what they told That's me on the phone. Me. <laughs> yeah. That's how my parents got me. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, so, you could look back at it now and laugh, but well, obviously, addiction is, is a um, it's a lifelong battle, right? It, it, it's something that you go through, but it's always a complete journey, right? Yeah. So, yeah. how do you how do you today, you know, deal with the everyday's? You know, um, I think we all, you know, are addicted to something in life. Mm -hmm. and there, there's triggers, right? There's right. Things that that trigger you. Um, obviously being back in the same geographical area that you grew up in, obviously having still having the same connections that you have. How do you deal with the, that part of the uh, journey of knowing that, hey, I got past the fire, right? mm. now I'm in the, the glory stage, yeah. but I want to stay here. Yep. So, you know, when I, f when I first got home, so even before my, my addiction, like I was very, I'm the, the baby, the boy of an Italian family. My parents did a lot for me. Even, you know, when I was married, my mother always wanted to do my laundry. Bring <laughs> me your laundry. I'll clean. I'll do this. When I got home, like, I don't know, that detoxing. That's why, like, it was, I went through a lot of shit, a lot of fucked up things. I wouldn't change it for the world because it made me a tougher person, a tougher man. Made me who I am today, a good father, great father, great husband. All because of that. Because now I value what I have. So when I got home... I had to tell my, and that was part of rehab too, parents come up for like a weekend and they teach them about boundaries and all that stuff. Like, you know, what we did to our families, they need to kind of go to like their own little rehab, you know, kind of like learn to like, listen, let go of the reins a little bit, step back, you know. So I took a big, I t you know, I needed my space with them. I needed to work on my marriage. Um... I needed to work on myself. Sobriety is a very uh, selfish, you know, thing because you have to put yourself first. You know, I did a lot of fucked up things to people while I was using. And they teach us in sobriety that, you know, just keep your side of the street clean. That's all you could do. Right. If you don't like me, I can't do anything about it. No. I could just be the best, you know, version Very of me. You. you know, if you don't like me, that's, that's on you. Right. You know, it sucks, but... So, like, I learned to, like, kind of let go of a lot of those things that I did, which a lot of people, they can't. Right. You know, my wife will never forget the lying and, the, you know, this and that, you know, like, that, that'll stay with her, you know, forever. She forgave me and we moved on and we have a beautiful life now, but that'll never leave her mind. Like, sure. you know, I fuck up, I do something stupid now, it, brings, it, it brings everything back. Yeah, it's you magnified. Know? Yeah. So... You know, just, just working on that, it made me strong going through all of this, coming out. Like I said, I lived still in the same apartment. I was coming out of my building, and I could see the building that I used to go cop in right, right there. But I made, my decision was to get up at 5.30. I would meet up with my sponsor in the morning. We would do 12-step work. I would go to a meeting with him. I would go to work after, and then I would go to outpatient. So that was part of my... Um, program for when I got home. 
they wanted me to go to sober living, which is like a house full of guys in recovery. You live with them. You you leave to go to work. You leave to go to meetings. Um, I told them no. I said, listen, I have to work on my marriage and my life. I have a job, so I'm not going to sober living. So they were like, okay, the next thing is you go to outpatient three nights a week to like 930, meetings, piss tests, all that type of stuff. And I was doing it every day. I never missed one thing. Like, So, I mean, there were days where I would go to two meetings. I tried NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous. I was a big AA guy. But I tried NA. Uh, just It wasn't for me. But, I mean, I put in the work, and my wife saw it. You know, she was like, I never thought that you would be going to these levels, you know, like going, doing this, like, like this. So I, you know, that's just, that's our, you know, addict mentality. When we put our mind to something, like you have to be, being an addict is 24-7. You're always on that grind. You're always lying. You're always scheming. You're always covering something up. So if you just take that energy and put it into something, positive. you know, positive, sky's the limit, yeah. you know, like, I go to when I'm in when I'm, when I'm in my gym phase like I go to the gym 5 6 days a week. I eat grilled chicken 3 times a day. When I'm in my not gym phase, I'm eating pizza, Chinese food, fast food, whatever the fuck I want to eat. That's it. That's what I want to do. You know, like yeah, there's no well, you know it's, it's an addictive personality. <laughs> yeah. That's what you have when yeah. it's positive or negative, it's just right. addictive. Right. You know. When I when I binge watch a show, I'll watch you know Game of Thrones. I watched it in like the whole, <laughs> the whole series yeah. in like three weeks, yeah. you know, during COVID. Like I had my phone like this. I was up to like two in the morning watching Game I, of Thrones. I, that's why I, I think that your story is very um, helpful to people to let them know that they're not alone, right? Mm-hmm. People that might be listening to this show that, that says, you know, wow, you know, I thought I had it bad. And then, you know, I listened to this guy's story or I thought this and maybe it isn't that bad because I'm right. sure driving up to Reading was, you know, like you said, probably the worst time of your life, right? Going through some some horrible shit, stealing, lying to your family obviously. Um, you know, is is very difficult, but you you like you said, you put the work in, you changed your life around. Um, I personally think, you know, your story, your transformation from addiction to recoveries is very very inspiring, right? Especially knowing that you went back to where you were, right? A lot of times. Right. And I've had friends that were addicts that went through the process that you did too, and they used to tell me that, that they were always told that geographical change does not necessarily mean that the personal exactly, change is yeah. just down. In yeah. Florida, you'll find no, You'll find it anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. So the fact that you were able to come back here, um, I guess my last question is now we're working on, what, six years? So, yeah, I was sober. I got sober 2015. Um so now, I when I got sober, I wouldn't take Benadryl. I wouldn't take NyQuil. Like, I was hardcore sober. Addictive personality. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't do anything. Like I told you, I had gotten a procedure on my neck. I had to get shots. They wanted to give me that um, propanol or whatever is that thing that Michael Jackson took. Like, And the doctor's like, no, it's fine. It's not a drug. You just feel nice and feel a little loopy. I'm like, Doc, I lived my life loopy. Feeling nice. You know, loopy, like, yeah. I'll be looking for this on the street if you give Absolutely. it to me. Like, I know it. So I did the procedure without it. Um, so come fast forward now, 2020, COVID hits. My father-in-law dies. I have my son. Uh, he had to get rushed to the emergency room with some respiratory thing at, like, a week old. Spent five days in the ICU. Mm miserable, you know, just hard, hard, worst time of my life. 
So one day I just tell my wife, you know, we got to go out this summer. I said, me and you, and I was like, I'm going to have a drink. So she, uh, she like kind of laughed it off. And then she was like, you know, well, are you serious? Like, I'm like, you know what? I was like, I've been thinking about it, you know, and this is totally, this was never my style. If I wanted to have a drink, I'm going to go have a drink. You know what now, I mean? Now, like, did you have a problem with alcohol? Was it, was it? No, I mean, I didn't go away for alcohol, okay. but when I came home, I knew I wasn't going to drink gotcha. because, you know, you get those drinks in you, your inhibitions go down. Absolutely. You know, we didn't have yeah. kids at the time. I'm just you know, curious. I didn't want to be home. I didn't want to be in a bar at three o'clock in the morning with my boys, right. you know, so I just stayed away from everything. Um, you know, shortly after I got, I got home, my wife got pregnant with our first son. Um, I lived in the gym. I became, you know, into my, into my gym. You know, that was my thing going to the gym. Some of my good friends stepped up and they were like, yo, let's meet for coffee every day. So there was a Dunkin' Donuts across the street from our neighborhood. We would get up. 6.30, 7 o'clock before work, have a cup of coffee or whatever. They, they really were like, you know, it was, it was awesome to hang out with my friends. I haven't hung out with my friends like that in years. Right. So to do that, like, just brought back a lot of good memories for me. Um, so I did decide, me and my wife spoke about it. You know, even just picking up, I think it was uh, a glass of sangria for Mother's Day after we spoke about it for, like, months. And I told my family... And I was like, listen, I think, you know, this is, I'm trying to go about it the right way. Sure. I didn't want to hide it from anybody. Right. I can't hide things anymore. You want to trust yourself, too. Right. So I wanted to, you know, give it a shot, you know, have a, so, uh, uh, so now, even now to this day, like, I'll still, I'll, I'll have a drink, you know, every now and then social. with my wife, a social right. drink, you know, date night. Right. We'll go out. We don't get many date nights, you know, <laughs> with, with two, kids, two kids. So, you know, we'll go out and I'll have a glass of wine. I'll have a beer. Um, I mean, I have beers in my refrigerator from last summer. So it's not like I'm going in. I don't wake up and like, oh, man, I want to have a drink. Right. So, But I know, like, I tell my wife, too, like, listen, if you start to see something changing me, like, with the drinking, I'm coming home, I'm having a beer, like, we got to shut this shit down. Right. You know, um, I don't care if tomorrow my wife tells me, like, hey, you know what, I noticed you've been drinking a lot. I think you need to stop again. I'll stop. You know, yeah. like, it's not, you know, I, it's not something that I need to do. It's something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And it's you, you want know. to test yourself too, right? You want to make sure that that you can handle yourself, and I think you went about it the right way. Mm. I think that you know you gave it thought. It wasn't something that you just walked into a party and somebody handed you a beer right. and you started drinking. No, right? no, no. You thought it through, and and uh, listen, if you as long as you could do anything responsibly, right, you deserve to do it. I right? will never touch a, a narcotic. Oh, that's again. different. I'm saying, yeah. Right. You know, something from, you know, even like, you know, weed, weed is everywhere. But today everything's legal. Yeah. You know, I mean, I smell weed everywhere. You know, Um, I I don't think I I would never, you know, kind of do that only because I know, you know, you smoke a little too much weed. You get a little like anxiety. Now you're looking for something to calm down. I'm bugging out. I'm getting paranoid. I need a Xanax. I need a value. Plus you have more more to risk today. than Exactly. Exactly. You know, we go out drinking, you know. We go out, you know, for dinner. We got a babysitter. We have a few glasses of wine. You know, the kids still wake up. My little one wakes up 6 o'clock. Sure. I'm still up with him. I tell my wife, I got him. I'll get up. I get him. I'm making breakfast. I'm doing all this. I can't not show up for my kids, you know? That's 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 your driving force behind where you are today. Yeah. But like I said, you know, super inspiring. So happy that you were here um, to tell this story. I hope that um, other people that are struggling with similar situations understand it um but now how do you 
continue to give back to that community? Do you do you continue to go to meetings? Do you continue to speak to kids that maybe are in 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 bad ways today that maybe you can help? Is there like a mentor? I mean, I I try to, you know, I just I have so much respect for the AA program and the community that I don't go to meetings because I don't consider myself sober because I'll pick up a drink every now and then. And I know from being in those meetings that people are struggling. Mm -hmm. It's real life, you know. Sure, I respect that. You know, people go out on binges and they wake up in airports in Texas, like some of the stories you hear there. So I don't want to downplay AA at all by going to a meeting and sitting there like I'm sober. Meanwhile, like I'll know if the weekend comes and I'm at your house for a barbecue, yeah, I'm going to have a beer with you, you know. Um, so I, I don't, I, I used to, I used to go to meetings. I used to go speak. I I spoke at meetings all over the city. Um, I spoke at a meeting out here for my five year. I made my five year anniversary out here. Um, that's why I'm really glad, you know, when we spoke, like I was really anxious to get, to get on here. Um, even though I don't really consider myself sober, my journey could be inspiring to other people, you know, to do it. Even, you know, I used to see like couples, out at dinner, having a glass of wine, and I'd be going through my shit, you know, going through withdrawal or whatever, and I would just be so envious. Like, I just want that. I want to be able to go out with my wife and, Can't you know, free. have a glass of wine. Like, so there's there's hope, man. You sure. know, there, there's hope. I'm not saying, like, yeah, get sober and then go out for a drink. No. This is my story. This is what I decided, you know. Drugs and drinking go hand in hand, you know, so... You just got to, um, you know, if it's if it's if both are an issue for people, then you really need to leave them both alone. You just got to you got to live your your story. You know, right. th- this is mine. This is Everybody's the path that I chose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So somebody that's struggling right now, what advice do you give them? Definitely, um, you know, definitely go to AA. You know, I I've been to therapists. Um, you know, trying to get sober. Classy Madison Avenue, two hundred dollar an hour therapist that I manipulated and bullshitted them. And it took going to AA to an, an old church basement with nasty coffee and stale donuts and folding chairs and guys reaching out to you and giving you your, giving me their number. And then we hold hands and we do the serenity prayer. That's what got me. You know, that's what got me sober. Going yeah, I'm sure you couldn't bullshit them. The way no, bullshit. They, they've been, they did, you know, you think I have like a crazy, like their shit, like... You know, guys that were guys that were living on Skid Row, like you know, living like on the Bowery, like just crazy, crazy shit. That you know, you can't bullshit them. They're there for you though. You want to go out? They see you struggling. Come on, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Call me anytime. Let's go to a meeting. Let's go here. Let's you know, it's just they're they're there and they don't know you from a hole in the wall, and they're willing to you know give themselves. That's that's what keeps them sober too. Helping yeah, somebody absolutely. keeps them sober. Yeah. That's why in AA they have fellowship where you take on a commitment and you have to, you know, chair a meeting. You know, you have to run a meeting for like six months. Or you take on a speaking commitment where you go and you find speakers to come in and speak at our meetings. I did all of that stuff. I stayed and I cleaned up. Uh, and this is, you know, you give a donation in the basket. Right. You know, that's it. So I would say, I mean, honestly, going to rehab was the best thing. That's what started me. That's what got me clean. Until you get that poison out of your body and you're thinking straight again, you could go. I was going to AA meetings when I first tried to get sober. Yeah, oh, great. Get, get people's number, then go get high. Oh, right, get high. Yeah, yeah, then go get high. Couldn't wait yeah. to get out of there, run. They're like, oh, we're going to get coffee. No, no, I'm no, good. No, I got to meet yeah. my wife. Yeah. So until you're, you know, ready, right. first well, of all, you have right? to hit bottom 
and everybody's bottom is different. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fear that goes along with rehab and stuff like that. So if you could do it. But you go through the fire for the glory, and obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, you're here today is living proof. You know, you got a beautiful family. You still, you know, have a great job. You you kept your job, which Mm -hmm. is super difficult to do. Um, during those dark times, and uh, I commend you, man. I, I, I don't know you. what else to say, but I thank really you, appreciate you. your story, and, and I'm glad that you came on tonight. So, um, so uh, you know, so grateful for you, too, for having this, this platform and giving me the opportunity to come here and, and, you know, share my story. It brings back a lot of memory. Talking about it, it's been so long, you know, I really don't talk about it much because I don't go to meetings, really. My family knows it. I'm not going to, you know, tell my, my kids right. yet. They're still little. But talking about it brings up all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm amped up now. Like, you know, it should like, also make you feel good at the accomplishment. That yeah, you no, definitely, you know, it definitely does. That goes by the wayside when you reach whatever finish lines. I guess there's multiple ones right through the through the journey. Um, but you don't want to forget. Mm-hmm. You know, no. you could easily forget. Never. You got to keep it fresh. Right, and th- and that's why I, I really appreciate you telling your story. Thank you. Thank you so hope much to get you on. Again, one day, and we can talk about uh, something a little lighter. But yeah, this was, yeah. Uh, definitely a great. No, this topic. was good. And, this uh, was good. A little laughs mixed yeah, in between. Absolutely. You know, you got to have a little laughs. It's well, that's life, right? You know. But uh, again, appreciate you for being here, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, everyone. And, uh, I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Too Many Topics podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and review. That helps spread the word about the show. Want more? Check out www.toomanytopics.com.